1: After all, there is plenty of room at the bottom. Hello, and welcome to the Materialism Podcast, an exploration of the past, present, and future of material science and engineering. My name is Taylor Sparks, and I'm an associate professor of material science and engineering. And I'm at the University of Utah. But of course, for one year, I'm here in the United Kingdom, based in Liverpool, for my sabbatical. Now, today's episode is a continuation of the mini series that we have sponsored by UK Research and Innovation, and more specifically, Innovate UK and the Transforming Foundational Industries Challenge. This is a funding agency in the UK dedicated towards many things, spanning arts, science, medicine, tech, and even materials research. And in this series of five episodes, we're covering a bunch of different topics but they're all related to materials and they're related to the future technologies in foundational industries. And you know, there's not much more foundational than concrete and cement, which is gonna be the focus of today's topic. And if those who have listened to our show before know that we actually did a previous episode on concrete, that's number 11. And we've also done episodes on bioprinting and biomaterials, which are adjacent to today's tech. So you might wanna check those out. But to learn more about the concrete and what's, how it can be reimagined for the future, we have Livia Ribeiro de Sousa from Mimicrete and Liv Anderson of BioZerox. I know, a Livia and a Liv. I will try and keep them straight for you, but maybe to get started, Livia, would you like to introduce yourself?
0: Yeah, sure. Hi, thanks for inviting me for to be part of this podcast to begin with. My name is Livia, I'm Brazilian, and my background is in chemistry. And I would say that my main kind of passion is around material science and environmental sustainability. For over a decade now, I've been investigating self-healing technology with the potential of minimizing all the actions that are associated with repair and maintenance in the construction industry. Back when I was in Brazil, my background was in catalysis and environmental science, and that led me to focus on this intersection between material science and environmental perspectives, and I've been exploring it since then. On the field of self-healing, I finished my PhD at Cambridge, and then I did five years of postdoc investigating self-healing technologies a bit further. And since last year, I've been full-time with Mimicrete investigating commercialization pathways for those self-healing technologies, along with some former co-workers.
1: Okay, thanks for the introduction. And Liv, you wanna introduce yourself?
2: Sure, thanks for having me here at the podcast. This is really exciting. I'm Liv Andersen, originally from Sweden, the country of Greta Thunberg and other environmental activists, which I guess runs in my DNA to be involved in improving the environment. So by educational background, I'm an architect, engineer, and sustainability scientist who have spent the majority of my career working on improving sustainability in the built environment. So this spans everything from operational energy to embodied carbon, but also more broader sustainability challenge in ESG strategies. But this is also where I learned about the enormous impact that materials have on our environment. And while we could see a lot of initiatives being pushed forward to improve the operational carbon, like renewable energy and more energy efficient systems, there still weren't good efficient solution that we could implement to address the embodied carbon. So there was this enormous gap there that we didn't have any good solution to. And that's how I got involved with BioZero in trying to address this problem.
1: Okay, that's a perfect setup for before we get to the solutions, right? This future technology solution that you guys are offering. Help me understand the problem. What is the challenge in, under, in making construction more sustainable?
2: So what is the problem? So essentially, concrete is the most used material on this earth after water and altogether responsible for about 8% of our global carbon emissions. So just by the sheer volume of this material that's being used, it's an enormous challenge and one that we really have to solve if we're going to align with the carbon targets that we have both nationally and through the Paris Agreement. For example, we see a lot of initiatives trying to address this by, for example, using waste products from the steel or the coal industry to try and make concrete more sustainable.
1: Yeah, I've but seen like fly ash injecting that and the challenges that come with that.
2: Yeah, and it's, it's a great step solution, but ultimately we wanna stop burning coal and we wanna stop making steel because these are also high intensive carbon industries. So at the end of the day, we need something more disruptive that is gonna work not just for the next five or 10 years, but for the generations ahead.
0: Um, I guess from our point of view and thinking about the entire cycle in which concrete-based materials are used, one problem that it's there is the fact that concrete is very prone for cracking as well. And there is a lot of costs that are associated with the repair and maintenance of those infrastructures. So there is... There is a room for improving that with and then i'm talking a little bit about solutions but with self-healing technologies and the capacity of yeah offering some boost on the crack recovery on, of the material by itself as well and therefore decreasing all the indirect co2 emissions associated with those actions for repair and maintenance not only cost
1: what a great point to bring up so not only do we have the huge embodied cost of making the stuff but then if it doesn't last, you got to do it again, right? And yeah. so anything that we can to reduce the CO2 upfront mm-hmm. or to extend the lifetime of these things is going to have a major impact because as Liv pointed out, this is the second most used and probably the, it is the most engineered material on the planet. We've got to get more clever about it. So with that said, having understood the sort of problem, help me understand some of the solutions that your companies or others are offering in the space that are exciting, that are looking towards the future.
0: I feel very happy to be part of this podcast because I was listening to the old ones and I realized how technical you guys can be. So, here we can be as technical as we want. So, a little bit of kind of background on concrete when we're talking about that. So, concrete's going typically, it's a mixer of Portland cement with aggregates and water. And then that's all mixed and produced like this rock like material that it's very good in compressive strength, not so good in under tensile forces. And to compensate this, this lack of very good tensile properties, what typically is done is to include the rebar in it. And that's what Liv was pointing out regarding, yeah, which is another problem altogether that maybe we need to address later on. And if there is a, a crack and there is ingress of contaminants, what happens is that they, it can happen, we can have corrosion in the rebar. And that corrosion will expand the rebar and will create even more cracks and accelerate the degradation of that system. What we know though, is that concrete has an intrinsic property that can, what is called intrinsic autogenous healing. So we can have the healing of small cracks that are up to 200 microns without any need for external intervention. This is nice. But we thought that could be improved even more if we could heal larger cracks. And there, there has been like massive body of research on that, working with particularly crystalline admixtures to increase this potential of concrete to heal itself. And that happens because there are like unhydrated particles within concrete. And then by when the, when there is the ingress of water, these unhydrated particles, they hydrate, and then they're going to heal those small cracks that are formed. By adding admixtures, we can increase the amount of unhydrated particles and then have the healing of this extra material. However, the admixtures can have deleterious effects on the properties during mixing as well. So, What the self healing research is about thinking what if we were to not only think of this enhancement of healing but also maybe encapsulating those agents, those crystalline mixtures, or any other material and substitute some of the aggregate by this encapsulated material to provide self healing capacity. So we could replace some of the sand with or some of the aggregates with a material that has that capacity for improving a self healing performance basically we are talking here about a healing agent that it's encapsulated and then distributed throughout the matrix so when there is a crack it's going to open release that healing agent and then heal the crack
1: that's so cool so help me understand this like you can in regular concrete you can add an additional amount of the material which will hydrate and form a bond in the presence of water so you're building an excess of that with the idea that when a crack forms there's some of this excess ready to go and interact with the water and bond i'm guessing that by doing so you're reducing the performance of the concrete right because that is now acting as a unbonded region and it's waiting to be bonded when a crack forms so is there a trade-off here between performance of the concrete and longevity of the concrete
0: oh that's a very interesting point not that we observed so far with those materials, typically because the amounts that we are talking about are quite small, isn't it? So a concrete by itself, there is already some calcium oxide that is unhydrated over there. And then when there is ingress of water that will, or ingress of CO2, that will become calcium hydroxide or calcium carbonate that will kind of fill those gaps. So that's a property that it's already present in the material.
1: So tell me, by encapsulating these and making them essentially protected until a certain scenario, such as when a crack approaches, why does that improve the performance?
0: Oh, yeah, I see. It's particularly the performance during mixing, because then when the mixing is taking place and there is an addition of extra crystalline admixtures or extra, if you think even about the potential of using polymers that could help with that healing, the polymer would never remain unreacted during mixing. So basically what we want here is a material that will remain unreacted during mixing and then react later on.
1: Okay, I think I get it now. That is a really cool solution. Okay, and that's mimicry. That's what your company is doing?
0: Yeah, the idea is to encapsulate those healing agents, either in terms of capsules or in terms of a vascular system that can deliver that healing agent when needed be. And that's the range of technologies that Mimicrete is investigating. Yeah, that I have been investigating for the past cool. ten years, and that Mimicrete is now investigating commercially commercialization routes for it.
1: Okay, that's awesome. All right, so that's one really interesting approach. Liv, how about you guys? What are you interested in doing to address these challenges?
2: Yeah, no, I think it's really interesting what Livia is saying, and our technologies are actually somewhat related. There, let me get back to that. But. Something I think is really interesting is that the buildings we make today, if you're familiar with the Briam framework, which talk about sustainability in buildings. I don't think I am. Okay, it's similar to LEED that you have in the US, if that makes more sense.
1: Yep, that I'm familiar with.
2: Okay, so think about it as the British version of LEED. Essentially Buildings that we make today are designed for disassembly. You get sustainability scores if you design the buildings to be disassembled. And this is with the assumption that the buildings we make aren't going to last longer than 50 to 100 years, which I think is so interesting looking at the buildings that were made in Roman times that still stand today. And essentially, we are of the fundamental belief that the materials that we have over-engineered to make our societies today, perhaps isn't the best way. Like making rocks is one of nature's own way of locking up carbon dioxide and creating a more sustainable environment. So inspired by this, we essentially grow rocks to cement sand and aggregates together in a natural way. But whilst this takes nature a million years, quite literally, we do this in a matter of days and our underlying science is actually quite similar to what Livia is talking about in the self-healing concrete we use bacteria to make this process happen but our patents are focused on rather than using this for self-healing concrete we are unlocking the potential to build structures out of this technology so instead of healing cracks we're creating buildings we do capture a small amount of carbon in this process but we don't position ourselves as a carbon capturing technology the primary benefit of what we're doing is the reductions of co2 compared to concrete and cement manufacturing because we are not using any portland cement so there's no need to fire limestone there's no need to release co2 from that process we're doing this at room temperatures so in essence, we're using globally available, low-cost reagents to create rocks using
1: bacteria. So the question that immediately comes to mind, having in the past one of my big first research grants that I won at the University of Utah was using bacteria, methanogenic bacteria that eats coal and produces natural gas. Obviously, burning coal has, it's not as great as burning natural gas. Burning natural gas has its own problems, but um, in this sort of hierarchy, we saw that as a big benefit. And turns out in nature, some strains of bacteria are really good at that. They're good at eating the coal and producing natural gas. But when it came down to engineering it, we were coming up with an encapsulation process where we would have to put the bacteria in a ceramic bead, cover it with the polymer, do the practice of the injection. We'd simulate the environment of doing fracturing to inject it down into the earth, and then have to have it leak out and eat the bacteria. We learned a lot of things. First of all, I learned these things die really easily. It's really hard. And then the other one that we learned is it's really hard to keep one strain of bacteria because there's a lot of other competing strains and they come and go. And the activity that you build around changes over time. So... Whenever I hear about an engineering company that is using bacteria as an integral part of that process, I'm just in awe because now that I've worked with them and I know how hard it is because they, they, their population grows and then it naturally dies off and you have to ride that constant wave to keep the production where it's at. Um, can you tell us more about the success or the difficulty in working with bacteria as an engineering process?
2: I think what is good for us is that we aren't the first company using this concept. This has been researched and used in self-healing concrete for about 20 years. So scaling this is not a new and untested thing that has been successfully done, which is a good proof point for us to rely on as we start our own scaling journey.
1: Is it hard because the fact that these things come and go, and so you want optimal performance, which means you want their max population, but their populations are constantly in a state of rising and falling, at least everything I've worked with in the past.
2: Hmm. No, I think at the scales we've worked at so far, this hasn't been a problem. Our next step is taking this out of the laboratory environments into a real life scenario. And I suppose these are some of the challenges that we will meet. But the fact that this has been done before for similar applications is really encouraging
1: okay having understood the problem and at least the general premise of the solutions that your two companies are offering what's preventing us from using these things today like why can't first off can i go buy a bag of your stuff today and if not what's preventing me from doing that or what's preventing it from a much broader wide-scale application
0: there is it's a lot about research isn't it i don't i'm not entirely sure at which stage leaves project is on but we were doing research and developing the trl up to trl 4 in the university and now we are liaising with other companies for developing the technology further to we are currently on trl 6 and with projects to develop it further so real quick
1: we, remind us what does trl 6 mean
0: it means that we've been testing it in a relevant environment which includes which goes to the point that Liv was making as well about the production of this technology so we are producing it in a relevant environment and kind of testing it in a relevant environment as well which is an environment that is closest to to the environment in which it's going to be produced in real yeah so we are developing this technology further in, in working closely with other companies that would be interested in purchasing the technology. And at this stage, I would say that the main, honestly, the main challenge that we need to tackle is to make the technology cheaper, isn't it? To make it accessible for everybody. And as yeah, that's the main reason why you haven't been purchasing, maybe creating your local stick and fix.
1: Okay. Yeah. This is always a challenge with all new emerging technologies is you've got something great. Is it cheap enough for people to adopt it? Okay. How about you, Liv?
2: Yeah, so construction is a very conservative industry with very stringent regulations and in many ways for good reasons. We don't want to be in a building that falls down. We don't want to walk on a bridge that crumbles. But this also means that there is a lot of testing and certifications required to enter this space. Of course, there are applications that are lower regulations that can provide good test base and places to start. But for the large scale adoption that we're looking for, it it just takes time to build confidence in a new to the world material.
1: Oh, that's interesting. So it's that the construction managers or whoever's actually going to be buying this stuff is, I don't know about this supposed new advancement. Let's wait and see what what it does over time first. They don't want to be the first mover, do you think?
2: Yeah, of course. Having worked on the other side of the table where I've been trying to specify new materials, we always see the same conversations of where has this been used before? What does it look like after 10 years in a building? Can we ensure this? Do it have all the right certificates? do you have the epd certifications do we know it's as sustainable as they claim it to be or is this just greenwashing it's always these same questions that i was asking when i was sitting on the other side of the table and that i'm now trying to answer for the clients with limited time and resources so to speak
1: oh this is it's so frustrating to hear that whenever i talk to people in the technology space we're like we have the solution we have a great product it's just changing societal actions right the way that humans interact with technologies whether it's adopting them or stopping to use them that is such a bummer for technologists because it's man you've got the solution we just have to change the way that we act as humans to adopt them
2: yeah but i also think it's like a blessing and a curse that we're not using cement of course that is one of our core fundamental values we think that cement like it is a great material for many reasons but we want, we don't want to compromise on our carbon footprint, so we take this completely out of our solution. But now, many regulations actually specify a certain cement content to comply with the regulations of concrete. So Wait, there's a minimum
1: amount that they want in there. Y-
2: yes. So if you're looking at, say, BS8500, which is the British standard of how you're going to use concrete for castings, it says how much cement you need in it for different applications as is we aren't using any of it. Yeah, that obviously becomes challenging.
1: Gotcha. Gotcha.
0: Okay. It's similar in a way for self-healing technologies that there is a standard saying that self-healing can take place until 200 microns. Okay, so what happens then if you have this self-healing capacity that it's up to 400 microns, there is no standard. So to have a different prescriptive standards are different from what they are now would be would be quite a blessing and I can envision that happening by the next 20 years maybe because the system's so slow.
1: Okay so we have the challenges of cost we have the challenges of regulations we have the challenges of adopting new technologies what are you doing to address those and is collaboration with other industry partners or government agencies including places like UKRI or others are they helping to provide a solution to these?
2: Collaboration is absolutely fundamental to solve these problems. We're tackling one of the core industries in our society. And this is not something a small, like we cannot revolutionize this space on our own. We cannot revolutionize this space on our own. And it's interesting, actually, because in some ways, it feels like it's almost industry leading the transition of this rather than the regulations and the government at this point in time. Because we see the interest from the end user clients who, despite us not having all the certificates and complying with all of the regulations, there's still such an interest in adopting and trying these technologies on small scale demonstration projects, because they know that they aren't going to be able to continue business as usual. And they need to find a way to transition to a low carbon operation. we are an early stage company we have demonstrated our technology in the lab and we're looking to take it towards scale and we have already received letters of engagement and letters of intent from some of the uk's largest manufacturers who are just so willing to try and just be a part of this development so yes of course collaboration i think is key to make this happen yeah
0: same here, I agree with everything that Liv said, in the sense that we are funded by the Innovate UK here and we are testing small small samples, which for concrete they are all big samples, but not as big as it, it can be at this stage. But collaboration, it, it, is, it is fundamental for that point that Liv was making earlier regarding any new technology that we are presenting. The question is around, has this been tested before? Has what are the results? Can this stand the test of time as well? So, we are slowly working towards that in collaboration with big companies that are keen on collaborating with us. And from foundations industry at this stage, I can say that they have been so interested in sustainability in general, and we have all those big companies in Europe that they have kind of small incubators that they can liaise with startups and perform the tests as well, which, yeah, it has been quite an interesting moment to be doing a startup in in foundations industry, I have to say.
2: I also just wanted to emphasize what Livia was saying on the support from Innovate UK, that it really is fundamental to the development that we're doing and really facilitates collaboration not only with industry, but with university research partners as well. You're also so key for the testing and standard development and influence of the governmental policies. So absolutely. That is something we really appreciate. Yeah.
1: I mean, people call it the valley of death for a reason. There is this time and space in, in new technologies where the big companies are not yet willing to take, to roll the dice on it. And it, the small scale, you've already shown the proof of concept, but those TRLs, what two through six, right? Somebody's got to pay for that. And uh, so it's great that government agencies and others step in to fill that role. And UKRI is certainly doing that with TFI.
0: One, another point to add here is that I've been talking about how many companies are interested in startups, but please more companies showing interest in startups, the more the merrier, please. Yeah.
1: So you're saying the water's fine, jump in. Yes, yes, yes. We've talked about the problem. We've talked about a couple of potential solutions and some of the barriers, but this is about future technologies in foundational industries, right? So tell me about the future. We're going to pull out our crystal balls for a minute. Where do you see these technologies going, say, in the year 2050? How will, say, the construction industry be completely transformed by the technologies that your companies and others are coming up with?
0: Gosh, I hope that by 2050, there is a change in regulation that can help us all to make this technology more used. One interesting detail that I can, it's very interesting to see the change in the way that we approach the technology. And I think for leave has been the same with all the pitching, which is quite different for academia as well. And when we were working with self-healing technologies in the lab and doing present the academic presentations, we would be talking about the decreasing cost of the overall performance. So in 20 years, 30 years, when there is a maintenance action that would be minimized with self-healing technologies. However, when we are talking with investors and with potential people that are interested in using the technology, what we can see is that, and again, going a little bit more technical here. So when we are talking about small cracks being healed in concrete, The amount of rebar that it's placed in concrete for, it's considering that those small cracks can be healed. However, if we can heal slightly larger cracks, we can then decrease the amount of rebar that it's being used. And that's very attractive if we're talking about a 30% decrease on rebar by using self-healing technologies. And that's something that potential partners and investors are very interested as well. So I think that could be a future for us to think about a decrease on rebar by using self-healing technologies in general.
1: Okay, and Liv?
0: Yeah,
2: I think we're still in the early stages of seeing material solutions using biotech enter society. And I think we still haven't discovered all the potential benefits that using these concepts of biomimicry can have. So I think over the next sort of 10 years, it's going to be an explosion in actually discovering that, oh, we can't only replicate the performance of concrete. We can actually make it better in so many ways. For example, the added value of self-healing concrete that Livia is mentioning. But what else can it do? Can this bacteria address air pollution? Can it improve the performances? We don't know yet. It's still early stages, and we are really excited to discover where it goes.
1: Oh, I think you're spot on. When I hear about technologies addressing these challenges, it's so often framed as a compromise. You're going to have to lose this, but we'll get this. But when you can reframe that as you can just get better all around. Electric vehicles are a very good example, right? You're going to not only quit burning fuels and have the CO2 emissions, but you're going to get a car that's fast that's sexy, other advantages. Now, electric vehicles still have some drawbacks, but in general, that idea of reframing it as it's not a trade-off, this is just a net improvement in ways that we've never considered before. Boy, I think that's a great way to sell a new tech. What an exciting time to be in all of these foundational industries because I meet folks like you at these companies that are coming up with really clever, exciting, forward-looking solutions, and I hope you all the most success okay thank you for listening to this episode of the materialism podcast we hope you liked it obviously we would love to hear back from you you can find us at materialism.podcast at gmail.com we're pretty active on instagram you can find us at the at materialism.podcast handle you can find us on twitter all over the place we're easy to get a hold of innovate uk is the uk's innovation agency As part of UKRI, they provide over a billion pounds per year of government funding for UK organizations to create a better future for inspiring, involving, and investing in businesses developing life-changing innovations. They also support innovative companies to grow through Innovate UK Edge and connect innovators with new partners and funding opportunities through Innovate UK KTN. The Transforming Foundation Industries Challenge is a program funded through Innovate UK, They recognize that decarbonizing the UK's foundation industries is a non-negotiable step in reducing global warming, meeting the UK's net zero targets, and speeding our transition to a low-carbon economy. The Transforming Foundation Industries challenge is providing funding and support to create a cleaner, more efficient, and more competitive sector that is fit for our future. If you're an innovative UK-based business, or you're looking to innovate in the UK, find out more by searching Transforming Foundation Industries. The Materialism Podcast is also sponsored by Materials Today. You can visit MaterialsToday.com to stay up to date on the latest happenings in the material science field and read some of the fantastic articles that they've published. You can also head over to Elsevier.com to find out more about their journals, books, conferences, and related programs. We would love it if you would leave us a review. Five stars on iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, wherever you're listening to your podcast. That will help other people find the show, and that would be pretty rad, we think special shout out to the people who make the music for the show that's Alphabot and cold i know we've said this like 65 times now but if you haven't checked them out you should do it they make cool stuff we dig it anyways that's it for today we hope to see you on the next episode see everybody
0: the inventors of fire electricity magnetism iron lead glass silk cotton the makers of tools the captors of lightning the architect the engineer the musician are all beneficiaries of the materials of this world and are bound only by their imaginations in manipulating those materials.